Welcome to the Professional Amateur Podcast, where I talk to amateurs who are getting paid to do what they love professionally. We all have to start somewhere, and these are our stories. Musician, singer, songwriter, Kieran McGee is someone I've had the pleasure of knowing for the better part of three decades. We sat down and talked about his journey from being a little kid in Manhattan, surrounded by music, to creating his own records and fighting to get them published in the time of record companies shuffling him around, and his personal struggles he's had along the way. On today's episode of the Professional Amateur Podcast, I have a very talented musician, a very longtime friend, uh, Kieran McGee. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, you know, I uh, I kind of been going through my Rolodex, which no one knows what a Rolodex is anymore, so that dated me a little. Uh, <laughs> going through everyone that I, I've been connected to or connected with over the years. And I found out that a lot of people are actually doing some really cool shit that they're really passionate about and that they've been passionate about and then have turned it into a career or even just a side hustle. Right. So I mentioned you're a musician. So let's start back to when you first got into music, which was a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I grew up in a really musical household. My mom was a or is a classically trained piano player. My dad's a music journalist. Um, when they were married, they had, had a baby grand piano in our apartment in Manhattan. I used to just sit under the piano and eat sugar packets and listen to my mom play, uh, which is probably like a sign of things to come. <laughs> but uh, yeah I, you know and he had a massive massive record collection and fortunately he wasn't one of those parents that was like you know don't touch my stuff mm. so I got a huge music education from that and started begging my mom for piano lessons and she thought it was like going to be one of those things like you know, how I wanted to do karate after watching The Karate Kid. <laughs> and then I gave it up after like three months. Um, so I never got piano lessons, even though we had a piano in the house. <laughs> uh, but then I started asking for a drum set and they they relented. And uh, I got it, which, you know, I'm sure they regretted immediately um, going for the drum set over the piano. But uh <laughs> So I started on drums and my parents divorced. My mom married another music affiliated person. My stepdad was an artist manager. Um, he managed Iggy Pop and at one point managed the Rolling Stones. Um, so I was just constantly surrounded by music. And, you know, when I moved upstate and met you, I was um, probably had been playing drums for a couple of years. Um, I don't really yeah. know how long but. yeah it's it's something about that timeline that it's fuzzy for all of us because it was so long ago <laughs> yeah i know i was thinking about it i was like because you were the first and only friend i had for a few years up there um you know and i was yeah. doing music the whole time i was in school band 
um, and I was starting to write songs. Um, and I and you were playing guitar, I think, like kind of simultaneously. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and I started getting into a lot of old folk music, like the Carter family and Woody Guthrie. And then I found Bob Dylan. And, you know, that whole time was like when Nirvana was really big and yep. Sonic Youth. And we were both really into them. And uh, I was so it's kind of like learning about the old stuff while getting into the new stuff too you know fortunately i'd gotten out of my hair metal phase at that point more or less yeah <laughs> that's it that's kind of like where my uh musical tastes like uh well obviously the 80s was all about metal for me and then i met you and yeah. i started you know i was like wow this whole grunge thing is pretty amazing and and then i got into like more of the alternative stuff because of you like with dinosaur jr and, and stuff right. I was like, yeah. this is really interesting and i branched all over the place from there but it's strange for me i ended up going the harder route i ended up getting into punk and then into hardcore and then death metal <laughs> so, right yeah yeah i um i didn't get into death metal until like my early 20 or mid 20s and i realized like whoa there's all this stuff that i ignored you know but mm -hmm. i also was getting into punk as well like i love circle jerks and black flag and uh i think it was like either seventh or eighth grade i heard the first velvet underground record mm. and it kind of changed my whole outlook on everything um even more so than all the grunge stuff and I, like that was just a turning point where i was like wait i can i can do this you know yeah. like yeah. these people can do it. i can do it you know yeah that that was that and that that was like the the turning point for me for for me it was my when i first heard no effects and oh I was yeah like, i was like holy crap i can play all these songs and have fun playing them i don't have right. to like sit and pay attention to what i'm noodling on the guitar <laughs> yeah yeah and that's i mean it, I, I realized i was kind of wrong in retrospect because john kale of the velvet underground was you know classically trained viola player and i mean maybe the rest weren't trained but you know just uh i guess it's what happens when you're young you're like hey i can do this like <laughs> fuck everyone says i can't do this exactly <laughs> like i'm gonna <laughs> so you know we um, were we were in middle school and you know discovering all all these amazing things um and i remember uh obviously you were playing drums but you were always playing around with guitars because you always had guitars around you know, i mean you had yeah from like i i just remember like a multitude of different guitars like you had a telecaster at one point and i remember there was like a hollow body something I, like i see guitars in my head and i'm like i'm sure that's where i saw it was at your house yeah those are all the guitars i regret selling yeah <laughs> you know like and now i would have like 30 guitars instead of like 14 you know <laughs> so, yeah. yeah um but yeah. uh yeah my brother actually started playing guitar before i did and you know he wouldn't let me play his guitar for a while so i'd have to like sneak in and play his guitar <laughs> but the, the first time i wrote a song i was actually in it was on summer vacation i was in the 
backseat of the car with my brother and his friend, and they decided to start writing funny lyrics, like funny songs of their own, you know, making. Not like parodies necessarily, just like funny lyrics. And I tried to do it, and they all came out really, like, depressing. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, that was my first uh, songwriting. I was like, hey, I can... I can do this too, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's totally, that's it. It's, it's always funny that that first, that first um, venture into actually writing a song is you, you feel it and you're like, yeah, you know what? I, I could definitely do this. And then like, when you look back on it, you're like, man, what the hell is, I, I mean, it, granted it's your stepping stone into creating music but you're like, wow, I had no idea what the hell I was doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah like I still have some of those notebooks and I'm like, what the hell was I thinking, you know? <laughs> um, but of course, you know, because I was like a, you know, young punk kid, I was like, well, I should be on a label, you know? Yeah, yeah of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I started sending out, I got a four track at some point in there I kind of skipped over that that was a huge huge turning point too is I just because I played drums and guitar I was like okay well I can play bass and I kind of know how to play piano so like I need a four track so I can make records and like I'm just gonna do it all myself because I don't trust my friends to help me (laughs) (laughs) I mean I don't blame you because uh most most of your friends me included we're we're all kind of dumb but in, in a good way, I mean, but, but so when you got the four track and you started, you know, messing around with it, when was your first, like, I'll even just call it like a demo tape, EP, whatever you want to call it, single. When did you actually first put your first, uh, you know, track together? Um, well, I started making cassettes and I started like, you know, multiple duplicating them on a boom box and then i'd make the artwork and bring it to uh the pharmacy and you know photocopy it all and make you know dozens of albums quote unquote, <laughs> uh, which were terrible but um then i i would go into the city and i'd give i'd sell them on consignment at places like kim's underground mm. and uh there's a place called adult crash just you know a lot of these like indie record stores that unfortunately don't exist anymore yeah um but they sold and i was you know i was only selling like five copies here and there but uh it was encouraging enough that i started sending out those tapes to um to labels like small labels and i i guess that was ninth grade i think um i would have been like 14 yeah that's about um, sounds right. Um, and a label, one label actually wrote me back and I got a, an album put out on this label called Clean Cuts. And that was like my first official release, um, which came out, I guess it came out when I was 15. Um, and, uh, you know, by the time it actually physically came out, I was miles ahead so to speak from where i was when i made the record already <laughs> and it's like i don't even put that record on my website because i'm so embarrassed by it you know yeah uh, yeah <laughs> but uh 
like if you i mean obviously if you listen back to something you did when you were like 14 or 15 you're going to be embarrassed by it and unfortunately mine came out on a real label <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah luckily all the stuff i ever recorded was just the stuff that i recorded like into a boom box not, not even with like a four track <laughs> and it's all like metallica covers and nonsense that sounded horrible <laughs> yeah i i mean it was semi-competent and i it kind of definitely like it sounds like me, you know, like I don't feel like I was, I, I mean, I think I was really trying to sound like Beck a lot. Yeah. I, I remember those really days. Time. Yeah. So it's sort of like a mix of old folk and Beck, but without the like hip hop thing, you know? Yeah. Well, that was before that, that turn. Uh, right. Yeah. It was like, you know, I'm talking about like mellow gold era Beck. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, that was my first release, and then I did a record uh, when I was 16 called Ash Wednesday, mm. um, and I did it at um, Sun Studios in Memphis, Tennessee, which, you know, that's, that's awesome. Sure most people know what that is. Yeah, that, that's um, the, the history behind there is just the people that walk through those doors. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and the room itself just sounds amazing and is very inspiring to be in. Um, the rhythm section on the record was this band called the North Mississippi All-Stars. Um, they were maybe like a year or two older than me at the time. Much, much better musicians, but uh, I felt like the quality of the songwriting was much better and playing with better musicians, surprise, makes you try to rise to the occasion you know yeah. so i played better and i i tried to sing better and you know like it's still me at 16 but i'm pretty proud of that record just because we banged it out in like three days and i wrote all the songs and you know yeah. um i felt like it came out pretty good for that age but uh the record didn't actually get released until uh 2000 i think yeah like, I I remember this is I remember seeing it on something it was like I don't know it was before social networks so right. I, there might have been a MySpace but I remember somebody talked about it that knew you they're like oh he released a CD and I was like huh <laughs> I, like my brain like didn't comprehend I was like what are you talking about and like like I knew you were creating music but um, a f funny side fact about Ash Wednesday is uh, it's haunted my one Spotify playlist and I don't know how because I used to ha have because um, I ended up buying it digitally at some point and I had the mp3s oh, thanks. <laughs> no problem <laughs> but I I put it in the uh, the playlist and it's a playlist that's like 12 hours long okay <laughs> but i can guarantee you within 15 minutes it's gonna play a song off ash wednesday <laughs> i don't know why it's just always just like you want to listen to this right <laughs> like, oh, yeah. all right <laughs> that's cool yeah I, um like in between those two records i really got into um this record called astral weeks by van morrison mm -hmm. and uh, another record called happy sad by tim buckley um lots of 
Dylan influence. I mean, I was, I'm still a massive Dylan fan, so I can't just say like that record was influenced by Dylan, but yeah. um, you know, my, my tastes had changed. I wasn't trying to sound like Beck anymore. You know? <laughs> trying to find my own voice i guess you know or as yeah. much as i could so at that age at least yeah. but uh yeah i had like some personal problems like in the years between recording that record and when it got released which is why it never got released it just kind of sat in the can and i went back in 2000 um to master it and found that the the tapes had been lost uh or recorded over or something <laughs> um you know they probably recorded over it to save money because tape isn't cheap um yeah. and it was recorded on 24 track like two inch tape but um yeah so what you hear when you listen to that record is pretty raw like it's not so it's a rough mix it's not mastered you know there's minimal overdubs on it so um I just released it that way because I didn't have a choice, you know. <laughs> it, it, it ended up working out though, because uh, it, it's it has that feeling when you listen to it. You're just like this. This is it's it's polished, but it's not gleaming. So yeah. you're like like okay, I, I hear it, and this is this is this is him. Like there's yeah. not there's no like like Stupid, you said like trickery or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I mean, I, I think they might have had a Pro Tools rig in the studio at the time, but I don't really remember doing any editing. You know, like I, I did do some mixing on the board and like some guitar overdubs, but um, it wasn't, uh, you know, we weren't like piece, piecing together different takes or anything like that. So that's and it's such a different world with you know how the world is now where everyone just with their phone can <laughs> record and edit music on the fly which yeah oh my god i <laughs> don't get me started about that like coming from being on a four track um and you know now i record in logic i've recorded in logic for like the last 20 years on my own mm. just the like the ease of recording now is just mind blowing to me because I actually I bought a cassette four track again recently to mm. like digitize some of those old tapes and stuff. And I did a session like a few months ago where my friend that I was recording wanted to record on the cassette four track. And um, I was like, oh, yeah, that might like impart some cool like analog sound or whatever. And I've done this a million times. <laughs> And halfway through the session, I was like, oh, fuck this. We're doing it in the computer. <laughs> like, <laughs> I could not take it. It was so tedious. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of people don't realize. It's, I mean, it's just like photography, too. A lot of people don't realize that it's a lot hard, harder. It was a lot harder back then than it is now by, yeah. by like, a hundredfold. Yeah. I, I Actually, it's funny because... Um, not that long ago, I somebody was like, "Oh, could you uh, just record some quick like guitar part for something?" It was just like some background noise. And I was like, "Yeah, I could do that," and without thinking, I just because I have my my MacBook over here and I just have a, a little tone port and I popped it in and just in like five ten minutes had something done. You know, edited 
you know, mastered and sent off. And he was like, thanks. And I was just like, that would have taken me weeks to do before. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know how I did it. Cause trying to do it again, I was so frustrated. And I, I literally gave up like, it was like, we're using the computer, you know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ash Wednesdays released and how long was it until uh you went on and started making i mean obviously you had a there was that gap from it was probably like 96 to 2000 something like that yeah you had there uh where you could there could have been music being created there but like until you had enough for your next album what, what kind of time frame were you looking at um well i I really dropped out of doing music after Ash Wednesday, um, had a pretty bad drug problem, um, and was diagnosed with major depression, major depressive disorder. So I was like in and out of hospitals and, uh, I just, I stopped, like I totally stopped playing guitar for almost like an entire year or drums or anything. Mm. Um, and then I got out of the hospital and were, I wrote like almost, two albums worth of material in the hospital. And um, that's what became the next record. Um, but I was performing in the city for a few years, you know, after I straightened out for a while. Uh, and um, I, I started playing at this place called The Living Room, um, which was on Rivington and Allen Street down in the Lower East Side um and i was just playing there a lot uh and all around the city with bands or solo or whatever um and um the owner of the uh the living room also owned a studio called the magic shop um which is located down in soho and um it's not there anymore but this was like a a real deal studio like you know Sonic Youth mixed dirty there. Um, like, I mean, everyone you can think of, like Sleep mixed there and uh, Nora Jones. And mm. I don't know, I, it's a huge list. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> I won't like bore you with that, but it's, you know, it was like a, a real studio and uh, they were starting up a label um called stan street records and i ended up recording the third album uh at the magic shop and um there was another band playing at the living room called olabelle uh which had um some really talented musicians in it byron isaacs who now plays for the lumineers mm. uh, he played on on my record uh and jimmy zavago who played on my third and fourth record, uh, Amy Helm, uh, is in that band or was in that band. And, uh, she's of course, Levon Helm's daughter. Yeah. Um, so through the magic shop and the living room connection, Olavelle ended up mostly backing me on the record, but we also got Levon Helm and, uh, Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth on the record, uh, which was, you know, like a dream come true for me. Cause I'm, I'm massive sonic youth fans so yeah. uh and of course the uh, you know the band too <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean you know. 
played with Dylan, so I was like, I was so starstruck, you know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, like all that stuff I wrote in the hospital turned into that that third record. Mm. Um, it was written pretty fast, actually, like probably in the space of like two months, three months, something like that. Um, but uh, you know, I came to the producer Steve Rosenthal. He was the owner of the living room as well. And he was like, just give me everything you have. Um, and I gave him like two CDs worth of songs. And then we just whittled it down to an album hmm. and spent a week in the studio and then, you know, spent a week mixing. Um, I'm, I don't know, even though I labor over stuff on my own, all the records have been pretty fast. Like if I'm in the studio, I don't really waste time and, you know, I'm not in the studio getting fucked up and wasting time or anything like that. So yeah, um, it just seems to go better that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it seems like it would. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I don't know. what I like, I toured a little bit for that record and did radio shows and all over the country. And it got a really good response. Um, but um you know, like a lot of stuff happened after the album got released. Excuse me. Um, like my my stepfather passed away. The label folded. The booking agency folded. You know, like Jesus. <laughs> yeah, it was like a, basically everything that could happen to sabotage the record happened. Yeah. So it got a lot of press, like good press. I mean, and. Um, but that's about it like it didn't sell a lot or any i don't even know how much it sold but um you know it uh i ended up doing a fourth record with also with steve shelley um called uh, the golden age of paranoia hmm. and um it was uh that was done like about six months after my stepfather passed away and hmm. Uh, we, um, or not we, but I, uh, kind of gave up trying to find a label for it because I had a deal in the works and it fell through and the, this was around like 2005, 2006. Mm -hmm. So I don't know if you remember, but there really wasn't like streaming back then, you no, know? No, there definitely um, was not. Yeah, the so I, I was like totally in the dark as to how to promote it myself, you know. Yeah. Um, so I just gave up, which was a stupid decision, but you know, whatever. I can't do anything about it now. Yeah. You know, there was no. I, I think YouTube may not even have existed yet. You no. know, like yeah. it was uh, hard to get your music on iTunes. You know, like <laughs> uh, I think iTunes was kind of the only game in town. Yeah. I remember that uh, those times too, because um, it was basically like you had what was, I remember Apple's deal with because it was the big thing. They had released the iPod and they're like, you can buy your songs, you know, buy songs for your iPod. And I remember on the on the back end to actually get your music on iTunes was horrendous and like, yeah. You, it's like you, you had make to like know somebody like you had to have like a friend of a friend that worked at Apple. Or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's another thing that's changed. I, I I like that now 
it's kind of crazy how you know record labels still exist barely don't yeah. know i don't know how they still are existing because you can publish all your own music now and i i mean just even like on platforms like spotify pandora all these streaming services now that you know it's it seems minuscule but it's the same thing that used to happen in radio uh, yeah it's like okay you're getting plays on radio you get paid x amount for so many plays and now it's like all right everyone has you know <laughs> like everyone has music everyone can publish it it's just finding the good stuff <laughs> yeah yeah it's definitely like um a very much a pay-to-play scenario nowadays where you know you have to pay somebody if you want to get on like a featured spotify playlist you know and there's a sort of this gray market that i can't really figure out you know how to break into myself i i've never been good at promoting myself at all like <laughs> i've you know I've, I've had like social anxiety for years that i've only like gotten over recently and i don't really know how to like tell people like you have to listen to my record you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's um that's a i think that's a common problem between a lot of creative people uh that i've talked to myself included uh, and you know before we started recording how you were like uh, i don't give compliments out and i was like and i don't take compliments it's like be because it's that interaction it's like uh, yeah <laughs> I'm like okay well that, yeah. the sky's kind of nice today <laughs> but uh it's it's definitely a, it's a common thread through all creative medium like i i still don't know how to promote myself as a photographer and yeah, and yeah it, it feels awkward you know like i don't i don't think my music is bad and i want more people to hear it but i don't really know how to like push it on people you know and i don't have like a an image or anything you know <laughs> i just write my songs and hope people will like them and, yeah you know uh, that's but you know that that's a huge part of it because y you're actually writing your songs you're performing your songs you're recording your songs it's something yeah. that you know outside of the diy scene which it's grown considerably in the past 10 years but uh, you don't get that it's normally like well this artist had 18 people writing this song it's like why <laughs> 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 yeah. it's, and it's just like a house like a techno house beat with like some yeah. flute in the background you're like okay it took yeah, 18 people like, uh, fucking modern country music is like that you know they've got a dozen people writing a song about like a truck you know it's like that yeah. shouldn't take 12 people you know <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what, what do they call it now bro country something like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah i um for a few years i worked in radio and it, it was fun to be on that side to to see like to interact with all the the, the music the the record people coming in and like pushing because yeah. uh, so obviously it was uh for i worked for clear channel slash yeah, iheart. iheart radio or, or what's now yeah. iheart radio right yeah, yeah. and uh well, you're just being evil then yeah, uh, exactly. Um, well, and, and that was what was really funny is when I had my talk with with uh, Tread on that one episode, who was, you know, he's a realtor now, but 
that's where we met was in radio. And it was really funny to see that shift happening because we found out as people were moving away from, they're like, oh, radio is still the most popular way to get music. I'm like, okay, <laughs> not for long though. You do understand this. <laughs> <laughs> and then like we started noticing the, the record labels were coming in less and less over time. And then mm. it got to the point where everything was just done by an email and like, right. Take, take a listen to these, these tracks. If you like them, put them on. If not, oh, well, it's like, but it used to be like everyone would come in, you'd have a big lunch, you'd talk right. about it. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's like, like, <laughs> oh, the writing's on the wall there. I know what's happening and we're, we're going to be replaced yeah. by robots. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, that was the same way with labels, you know, when I was uh, not like what, you know, the third and fourth records, you know, I got wined and dined by all these labels and they take you out to like, I don't know, Balthazar in the city or these, you know, insanely expensive restaurants. And then, you know, a week later, it'd be like, no, we're not interested. <laughs> that 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 had to be frustrating because that's yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's like every record you have somebody telling you like this is going to be the one you know yeah and then it doesn't happen <laughs> uh, that's that's how you but, get jaded really quick <laughs> it's like is it the one <laughs> or are you just talking shit so you can get in my pants basically <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, the i guess the upside is that i was pretty jaded going into it even at a young age because my family was so embedded in the music industry you know yeah. my parents didn't um they didn't like mince words and telling me how terrible the music industry is you know yeah so I, I wasn't going in blind but it doesn't mean it wasn't frustrating or like i didn't hurt you know yeah but uh yeah yeah, but, yeah. softened the blow a little just not completely a little bit yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it's um it, it's and it's crazy because like we're looking at after your third album how like where did you go with music then because now we're we're talking about like we're starting to get what closer to 2010 now right yeah um well i you know in the early 2000s you know when like the third and fourth records um i got really into this guy elliot smith i'm i don't know if you're familiar with his music i am not um well he's not alive anymore but oh. he's uh he's like singer songwriter he was on kill rock stars and went on to major labels and hmm. uh got really into his music and that influenced me a lot and bands like wilco and um oh, okay. i uh it definitely like kind of uh encouraged me to try to advance my songwriting more um yeah so you know i feel like each record is a step forward songwriting wise but um after that fourth record i got married um i was uh with my ex-wife for about 12 or 13 years and uh i totally gave up performing music or trying to make records for over a decade and wow. uh, I'm, I'm not saying it's because I got married, but um, you know, all that stuff that I mentioned that happened didn't help. So yeah. I was 
you know, I'm done. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, dude, yeah. When I found when I found out about Art, it it crushed me because he was such a great guy. Like, yeah. it, and it's like people are like, oh yeah, he was. I was like, uh, I remember him drive, and I like I always go back to the same memories of him driving us to like a comic book show in the basement of a church like, <laughs> in town, and I was just yeah. like, we were so happy that we were getting comic books without having to go outside of pine bush <laughs> <laughs> i remember that yeah he was i mean he was like ever present and encouraging me in whatever i wanted to do you know yeah. so once he passed away i i was pretty lost you know and yeah. there's there was a lot of other stuff that went on like there that i i won't go into but it just kind of i just stopped you know i like I, I don't really know how to explain it i just like lost my enthusiasm for it for a while yeah um, but i guess um i guess we could fast forward to the newest record yeah so we're basically you know well uh, you know spoiler alert you said you got divorced so uh <laughs> that, that happened and you're a father now which is yeah. my daughter's uh seven years old her name's abigail That's um so awesome i get i it was of all the people i know like i never looked at like certain like me i could never think of myself as a father just to my dogs because i'm a weird dog person <laughs> but i was just like when you're like oh look here's here's my daughter i'm like he has a kid and holy shit it makes sense <laughs> yeah yeah i mean we um we were together for eight years before we decided to try to have kids but we we actually came up with her name the night we met hmm. um which is kind of bizarre yeah um, <laughs> um but yeah the you know having kids puts huge stress on marriage so the divorce happened and um i i again had a drug problem around that time, went through more hospitals and, uh, you know, all that shit. Um, and, uh, moved back up to Pine Bush and, um, built a studio in, in my mom's, uh, or in my uh, other bedroom up here. Mm -hmm. Um, although I, it took me like, three years to get around to building the studio. I was so depressed about everything that all my gear just sat in a pile in that room for three years. Yep. And uh, I, I ended up uh, going back into the hospital and they put me on a medication and things just changed. It was like they got the cocktail right or something. And I wrote like another 20 songs and had an album all of a sudden. <laughs> That's it, you know, um, and people that say like, oh, I don't, I can't take all the chemicals for the medication. Like, fuck that. When they find the right thing that works, it like, it can change. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. I, like I was pretty, yeah, it really did. Like, uh, I mean, it kind of changed my whole outlook on life and my, I feel like my personality changed a little bit <laughs> for the better, you know? Yeah um but you know i i guess you could say it's my divorce album it's called broken blossoms um but um 
I started recording it right at the beginning of the pandemic, pretty much. Like I, I wrote all the songs in November of, I guess it would have been 2018. 20. And, and the pandemic started in like March of 2019, I think. Is that right? I think move it up one year. So Okay. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I do the same thing. I was like, well, how long have we been in a pandemic now? <laughs> yeah, I, I just know that I like, all of a sudden had a shitload of time on my hands, you know? Yeah. Um, and I had all these songs and um, it kind of went back to the way I was when I was first learning to play and record where I was just like, okay, I can't really like get people to come over to my house because of the pandemic. So I'll play almost all the instruments. And um, because of technology, I was able to send uh, tracks back and forth with, uh, my my good friend Jeremiah Lockwood, who's played on almost all of my records, um, he plays dobro and banjo, mm. um, and my brother I, my brother sings on it too, um, which is kind of funny because <laughs> yours sounds exactly like mine. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> That's uh, it's pretty funny actually. <laughs> I actually had him sing some parts of the record just to see if people would notice if it was him. You know? <laughs> it's like a test. Like, yeah. Like, oh, you like that? You like that voice much better, huh? And it wasn't me. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. The, I found that, you know, the, the silver lining of the pandemic was definitely people that were creative before the pandemic were given a chance to be creative again. And yeah. grant, granted, other people were finding their creation, you know, their creative passions or whatever as well. Uh, but all of my friends who are artists, musicians, they, they everyone kind of like buckled down and said, well, I can't go anywhere. I can't perform. I can't go to a studio. I'm going to figure out how to do this at home. And yeah, it it's it's been awesome to see what's come out of it. Um, yeah, I agree. It, I mean, you know, so many bands just all of a sudden were putting out so much music, and there's like just this uh, watershed of creativity, you know, yeah. for a lot of people. But um, yeah, I I did the whole record in my home studio and you know i've got i've got like a 24 track studio in my little room over there <laughs> um <laughs> and I, I bought a drum kit which uh you know pissed off my mom again um, <laughs> <laughs> which you know it's pretty much like that's my job you know like yeah. <laughs> <in life. laughs> <laughs> oh yeah yeah that's that's the one thing i, I haven't repurchased um and last time i actually owned a drum kit was probably like 15 16 years ago and i'm yeah i'm always itching like especially after watching brad put together all this stuff and then take his acoustic kit and put that little ead thing <sighs> I don't know. It's like a triggering device that record it records 
phenomenally and i still don't yeah, understand great. I, I i i mean he's he's such a good drummer and uh uh i don't know yeah i mean i'm sure i can i could have done i did some drum replacement stuff like but i i played the all the drums myself you know but if like the snare sounded shitty i'd replace it with another sample or whatever stuff mm -hmm. like that but i also hadn't really touched the drums for probably like 10 years um just because i was living in the city and people yeah. don't like when you have a drum set in the city no no um so i was kind of relearning drums too um uh yeah it was uh and i because of the pandemic i ended up having the up the good slash really terrible opportunity of being able to tweak the record for like a year oh. before i uh, you know, and I, at one point I was just like, okay, I have to stop, you know, <laughs> like this is yeah. getting out of hand. I'm like staying up till five in the morning <laughs> every day, you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. When, when there's no like real deadline or like real urgency behind getting it out, you're like, well, you know, I, there's that one, there's like two bars that I could just, uh, if I just change it just a little, I think yeah. it's going to change the overall thing and like you might do it you'll slave over doing it and it sounds no different and you're like yeah yeah, yeah no, nobody will notice you yeah. know like, <laughs> for you like <laughs> yeah but uh i mean that's also kind of why i brought up why all the other records were done so fast is because when you're in a, a, a real studio you know what would be called a real studio back then you you can't like sit there watching the clock you know you gotta fucking get down to business you yeah. know so i i i think i would either give myself a deadline next time or go into a real studio because i don't i don't want to do that again where i'm tweaking a record for a year you know yeah that, uh, that's not that it came out bad like i'm i mean, very happy with it but um it was just like i don't know <laughs> i just <laughs> Uh, I had to stop. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I get you. No, I really, and I, I have the same problem in photography because sometimes I get, um, you know, I'll have photography clients that I'll do a photo shoot for or product shoot or whatever, and I have a deadline. So I go through, I spruce them up, make them nice, send them off. Hooray, that's done. But if yeah. I shoot something for me or like for my dog's Instagram because that's a thing <laughs> uh, I'll start going over little details and I'm just like oh and I then I look at the clock and I, I spent two hours messing around on one photo and it won't matter because it goes to Instagram where it gets compressed and all that detail right. that I fixed is just gone now anyway <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah but, I don't know it's uh I guess that's like one of the hard things or an important thing about being an artist or a musician or whatever is like knowing when to let go, you know? Yeah. Um, and cause I, like, I've always kind of thought if I ever wrote a song that I was a hundred percent happy with, like why keep going, you know, <laughs> like why keep trying? You know? Yeah. Cause you're never going to get the perfect thing. <laughs> there's always a, a room for improvement and different avenues to go down. So it's, yeah, it's a, uh, yeah, it, it, but you're right though. If, if, you, 
I feel like, all right, this is the, the perfect song. I can retire now. <laughs> yeah, I quit again. <laughs> For the third time. Yeah. Third, third time's a charm? I don't think it's supposed to work like that. <laughs> but uh, yeah. So now that you've released this album, where are you going to be going from here? Um, you know, I'm just writing like I, uh, the song sort of just like, I, I write a lot of, uh, nonsense. And then I realize that that all fits together somehow. Hmm. Um, and then like a bunch of songs will spill out, but, um, you know, sometimes I won't write for months and I'm just writing like. I mean, writes a song for months and I'm just writing in my notebook like poetry or gibberish or song titles or little phrases that I think I could use in a song. Like they don't, uh, there isn't like any one way that I write them. Um, but uh, I, I've been, you know, writing for a new album, but uh, I don't really have any like, it's like when it, when I feel like it's enough to be an album, I'll make an album. Mm. <laughs> I'm not... I'm not setting a deadline for myself with writing, you know? Well, it's actually kind of nice because you don't have that pressure. I'll obviously just have to know when to reel it in and, and get so, down to it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I don't it, like not having a booking agent and a publicist and a label saying like, we want the next album out by this date is definitely a relief in a way, you know? Yeah. I mean, it would be nice to have those things, but it was also a lot of pressure, you know, like I, the fourth record, I felt like I had written the best songs in my life and then we couldn't find a label to put it out, <laughs> you know, it was yeah. like, so, um, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to keep writing pretty much. I don't know. I, I don't have like an album formed in my head yet, but there'll be another one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's what we do. <laughs> There's always going to be another one. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I like I was talking to my mom before and I was like, I have to, you know, be done with this thing at 230 because I got this interview and she was like, oh, that's great. You've got a job interview. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, uh, no, no. And she's like, well, what do you mean? I was like, like an interview for my music and she was like oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah that <laughs> yeah like uh she forgot i was a musician right? <laughs> it's like you know the last 40 years of my life that i've been doing <laughs> that thing that i'm obsessed with you know? <laughs> yeah uh, it, it's it's funny um you know I, as we kind of wrap up here i i I always ad admired your ability to kind of just go in and not not have a fear of doing your own thing because even back when we were in school it was the crowd was going this way and you were like what's over here and <laughs> and it, it, it in my eyes you know it pays off because you become yeah who you are, uh, instead of just, yeah. you know, getting lost in, in a, a sea of the same thing. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I've, I've had some people say that to me, like, or actually, you know, I was 
joking about my mom, but she, she was, I remember her saying when I was a kid, she's like, I've never seen somebody attack an instrument the way you do. <laughs> like, because even if it doesn't sound good, you just keep going. And I was like, yeah, I never really thought of it that way, you know, but I, I guess, like I have, I have a clarinet from an ex-girlfriend and I, I had, I looked up on YouTube how to learn how to play it. So I've been playing clarinet, you know, <laughs> and now there's YouTube. So I can just like learn anything, you know, uh, uh, YouTube is our savior when it comes to anything now. <laughs> yeah. Like how to fix my toilet or how to play clarinet, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. it works. It works for everything. You're like, all right, great. YouTube is, is the way to go, but that's, see that, that's what's awesome. And it, you were, even though we're, you know, basically the same age, but you were like an inspiration uh, for me to just not stay in one lane because staying in one lane is, I, I, I could have just been like, yeah, punk music, you know, pop punk of the early, the mid nineties. And I could have been like, that's my thing. I'm going to do that for the next 30 years. But didn't do that yeah. <laughs> i and went all you know i could inspire you yeah no 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 problem like like i said it, it made me look at everything uh i even even though i always say oh, i love everything except for country there's a a timeline of when i like country and then oh yeah me too <laughs> yeah it's just like once the 90s hit it's like I back away from it. Yeah, <laughs> but, but, yeah I'm pretty much on the same page with you there. <laughs> yeah, but you know, I, I, I really want to thank you for you know coming on and just taking us through the journey of creating and getting to where you are and where you're going, which is important that everyone knows. Like when when you love something like this, you don't just give up on it. You give up on it twice. <laughs> And then, and then you can, uh, <laughs> then you can keep going. <laughs> but you're o you're always gonna come back to it, even if yeah. Like uh, that's some that's my message for the kids: is, uh, give up twice. <laughs> yes, <laughs> give up twice before you really really know that this is the thing for you. <laughs> <laughs> end interview <laughs> i mean I, that's that's the perfect ending right <laughs> but you know uh before we go let, let's do the thing that you don't like doing Let, let's promote you um <laughs> where can they find your your music and information about you online okay. uh well my website is kmcgee.com right now it, it's forwarding to Bandcamp, where you can buy every record except for the first record um <laughs> Uh, but I'm on Spotify and iTunes and um, I don't know if I'm on Pandora. That's a little like that's more curated. Yeah. Uh, I don't think I've ended up on there, but, you know, most of the streaming services. So um, but Bandcamp is really I, I like the site a lot because yeah. it for one, it pays better than any of the other sites. But yeah. um, it just they have a better uh, relationship with the artists that use it, I think so. Yeah.com. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I make sure to send everyone there. And and once again, thank you, Karen, for coming on. Absolutely. Thank you.